feel the presence of the Lord here in this place. Amen. I feel the goodness of God. It's already just coming into this house, and I felt it when I walked into this place, and I feel it now. If you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of James here this morning. And shifting away from a series that I had been in over the last several weeks. And I just want to share what I felt the Lord lay on my heart for us here today. It's in James chapter 1 that we're going to begin today. James chapter 1. Or I guess it is all out there on your handout if you have that today. We're going to begin in verse number 2. James writes here to his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he tells them a very hard truth, a very hard thing to do, but yet this is, um, this is what we see we can do through Christ, through Christ which strengtheneth me. He tells them to count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, when you fall into various trials, different things that come your way, different hardships that may come your way. He says, count it all joy. Count it a joy when the trials come your way. And he goes on to tell us and explain just a little further. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That there's something that comes out of the trying of your faith. There's something that comes through the trials that really is only birthed in the trials. And that is this patience. That word patience, if we dive into that, the Greek there is this word hypomone, which is a steadfast endurance. We're going to look a little deeper into that word just a little later, but we'll... Continue on with our text here. It says, but let patience, same word, hypomone, that endurance, let it have its perfect work. Let it have its perfect work. That is, let it have its useful function that brings to completion. That perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete. Or entire, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That means you're, you're lacking nothing in these, in this area that let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, then let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I uh, love that. I love going to that uh, to that verse anytime that I'm in a situation where I, I'm just needing to know God what is the right thing to do here, and, and I go to that verse so often. If any man lacks wisdom, if you if you're in a situation where you don't know what to do, if you are uh, faced with a, a trial and you don't know which way to go, then it says, then let him ask of God and God will give to you liberally and he will upbraid, upbraideth not or reproach. He does this without 
reproach. That's how another translation would, would put that word. And that re- word reproach or upbraideth not means that he isn't going to lay the charge or to raise a complaint against you. God, God's not going to raise a complaint against you asking him for wisdom. God's not going to raise a re- complaint against you coming to him in your time of test and trial. That's your decision point. God's not going to come up against you and complain about you coming to him and saying, God, I need you to help me here at my decision point. In fact, God finds joy in that. And it says that God will give it to you. I'll complete this here. It says verse six, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea that's driven with the wind and is tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I want to just share this this thought or just uh, look at this decision that comes in the midst of our dedication and desire. The decision between dedication and desire. And as we look this at this passage here today, we, we look at a, a group of people who they had been through some trials. James is writing this letter, he's, he's writing these words here, to some people who have gone through some things. And it's, it's all for the sake of their, um, their faith, all for the sake of them uh, worshiping Jesus. And through that, they had gone through a lot of trials in the few years that they had given their life to God and lived their life for Him. And He's telling them that through these temptations, through these trials, I want you to count it joy. That there's gonna be the, uh, there's gonna be the propensity in you to say, I'm just gonna give up. It's, it's getting too hard. It's, you know, what, what's the point of enduring all of this? If, if I am serving a good God, then why am I going through hard things? Right? Ever been there before? If I serve a God that is good, then, then why are there trials that would come my way? Why are there things that would test me and, and almost Bring me to a breaking point. And, and he's, he's talking to a people that they have even been put to death. They've been jailed. They've been, uh, they have been cast out from, from many of their, their old, uh, relationships and people that, uh, that they had been close to. And when they began to give their life to Jesus, they no longer, uh, were accepted within that old, society and they were outcasts but but yet they did see the goodness of God through this and and he's he's reminding them that that these trials are going to come your way that there's going to be a testing uh time that will come but it's there's a, something that will result in that he says that time of testing that trying of your faith is going to work patience and that patience is going to bring something in you that Strips everything in life down to its essence, which is to say that really all that I need is Jesus Christ. 
Really, all that I need is, is just to know that, that he died for my sins, that he gave his life for me, and I owe everything in return to him for that. That really, he's the one that paid the ultimate sacrifice. He's the one that became the sacrifice for my sins. And because of that, yes, I may go through some tests and trials, but when I, when I look at the bigger picture, I realize that he, that he is uh, he has left me wanting nothing. He has left me lacking nothing. That that I am in a place where really he has already done everything that he needs to do for me, and everything else that I get is just a blessing from God. The time of peace and the time of uh, of prosperity, all of that, those are the blessings of God, and I'm thankful for them. But yet, uh, there, and, and, and to acknowledge that in my time of trial, God, you are still good because you've already done everything that you needed to do. And you've already given me everything, God, that's uh, and above and beyond what I deserve. And so he says, let that patience begin to have its perfect work. If you're in a, a place and, and, and you're there, that's easier said than done. At least for me it is. <laughs> to be in a, a place where you're going through a, a test and you're there and you pull out the scriptures that are all the promises of God. And, and you begin to, to pray these and proclaim these, these promises of God over your situation. And, and you're saying, God, where are you at in this? Anybody ever been there before? God, I'm proclaiming the promises of God, and I'm, I'm standing on the promises that that you're here with me, and that and that you're never going to leave me or forsake me. And and right now, I, I feel uh, I feel a little bit alone in the midst of my test or in the midst of my my trial I'm going through. And and sometimes you can feel that way, but but he's you know, he's encouraging these people who are going through the test and the trial and saying, don't give up. Don't lose hope. I know that you're at a decision point right now. And those decisions uh, that you're going to make in the midst of your test, in the midst of your trial, are either going to lead you to a more dedicated walk with God, or they're going to lead you to the place where your flesh would have its desires fulfilled. Because the enemy would love nothing more than to put you through some tests and trials and for you to, to say, I just want to, I just want the easy way out. I, I'm just going to walk away from, uh, I'm just going to walk away from the, this, this life of, of dedication to God. I'm just going to turn back to the man that I used to be, the person I used to be and give all this up because, uh, because we feel as if though God has forsaken us. And the enemy, that's, that's what he would love for us to believe. He would love for you to believe that God is not there with you in the middle of that, uh, of that situation that you're in. But uh, what he's not telling you is, is the other side of that story. Which is that as soon as you give up on all of that, he doesn't care one thing about you. And he will let everything crumble around you as soon as you, uh, as, as soon as you feel like you're on the high, highest high and you feel as if everything is going okay because you walked away from God. The, the devil, he doesn't care one thing about you and he will destroy your life. 
He will destroy your life because that is what his nature is. His nature is one that was come to steal and kill and destroy. But God is not a man that he should lie. God is, is not one that changes. God is a God that is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is not going to waver. And that means that God will always be there for you. Even when you look around in the middle of your test and you say, God, where are you at? God never left you. God has not left you in the middle of your test. What he's doing is he's bringing something out in you, which is the working of their patience. He's allowing you to come to a decision point where you say, God, I am going to remain dedicated to you. I'm going to remain dedicated to my call. God, I'm going to remain dedicated to my consecration or you can walk away. God, he has not left you, but he's allowed you to have that decision within your own life where you are going to say, God, I am going to stay with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to to walk away in this. And uh, and we see God who does not change, but God allows us that ability to uh to change if we want. I want to, there's, there's a, a passage in, in Mark that I came to in my, my study today, and it's in Mark chapter 11, an interesting uh, just occurrence that takes place as Jesus is walking uh, one day with his disciples. And Jesus, he comes upon a fig tree. It's in Mark chapter 11. Let's go to verse 12. It says that on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, that he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. Jesus, being a man, he found himself hungry this day. And he looks upon the distance and he sees a tree and he recognizes it as being a fig tree. Let's go to verse 13. It says, that tree that was afar off, it had the leaves. It looked as if it was going to be producing fruit. Jesus got a little bit excited in this moment. He's hungry. This is his favorite fruit that he's about to come upon. And, and he's, he's ready. He can't, you know, just dreaming about walking up on that tree and, and getting some of that, those figs off the tree, biting into them and having his hunger fulfilled or hunger sustained. And, and now he's, he's here and, uh, he says that he gets up to the tree and he found it, found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. In other words, he gets there and it looked like it had, it was going to have the fruit, but it didn't have any fruit on it. So verse 14 tells us that Jesus answered and he said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard that. The story, uh, or this, this passage, it goes on and, uh, we see them, uh, we see the disciples leave the fig tree, but then just a few verses later, they come back to the fig tree as they're returning on their journey. Uh, let's go to verse 20. It says that in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree and it was dried up from the roots. That curse that Jesus had placed upon that fig tree had some power in it. Those words that he spoke to it, it had an effect on that tree. And Peter 
Calling to remembrance, he saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Verse 22. And Jesus answering saith to them, Have faith in God. What a peculiar answer. What a peculiar thing for Jesus to say here in this moment, just to say, uh, in, in response to uh, Peter noticing that the curse that he had placed upon this fig tree uh, had and had its uh, result of the fig tree drying up. And, and I don't know if you've ever uh, seen a fig tree, but these things are not easy to, to kill. A fig tree is, uh, especially one, one that's in, in the wild, they, they can, it can chop that thing down, you can... Uh, you can even burn everything around it, and that fig tree is is not going to wither away. And so, the, but the, this fig tree, when Jesus spoke these words over it, the fig tree withered up, and Peter noticed it. And the response of Jesus was simply, "Have faith in God." Let's continue on, verse twenty three. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, "Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea," and shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire and ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. So again, kind of going back to that response of Jesus. Kind of an interesting response that Jesus would simply say, have faith in God. And, and I'm you know, just wonder what what does that mean? Why why did you respond in that way? And I feel coming from that that fuller response of what Jesus goes into there is he's telling his disciples that that what you saw there you you saw a tree and and you heard my words but yet you didn't believe my words. You didn't believe that. Even, even though you've been with me, you've seen me calm the, the storm and the seas and all of this. And, and yet, you didn't believe that I have power to change anything. You didn't believe that I had power to come and to, to speak. And I had uh, that I am greater than the circumstances around me. See, I want... He's trying to tell them, don't get stuck between believing that God has all power, but yet feeling as if your circumstances are in control. The circumstance here would tell you that this tree is, is, is there. It's not bearing fruit in the way that it should. Uh, that even Jesus coming up, he was hoping to be fed by the tree. And yet he came to it and he began to speak against the circumstance and it had an effect. This, the circumstance in your life is not what's in control. When the mountain is there, he says, when the circumstance of the mountain comes up in your life, all you really need to do is to speak in the words of faith and believe that God is able to overcome that circumstance and you can see God begin to change whatever it is that you are going through. Be thou removed to the mountain and the mountain is cast into the sea. So we can't believe that the only, uh, or that, uh, or can't get stuck in this place between God's ability to calm the storm and the storm's ability to produce fear in our life. That's what happens so often is we get to this place where uh, we are in the middle of a storm or we're in the middle of a trial 
And we believe, we have faith that God is able to bring us through. But yet we see this storm and it brings us all this fear and all this stuff. And we're saying, I just want to get out. I just want to get out of this situation. Let, release me from my consecration. Release me from all of this. And, and yet what he's calling you to do is saying, no, let's double down on your dedication. Let's double down on your consecration in the midst of the storm. Begin to truly believe that God is able Even though you may not see it in your present, he's calling you to go and to remain in your dedication or your consecration and begin to speak the words of faith. They didn't see it there uh, or they didn't believe what what they actually saw there until until Jesus, um, until they come back and and they see this fig tree that's withered up. Let's, I want to go on because I want to get into this story of Samson here today. See, Samson is this man that uh, we see in the Old Testament that his, his life is such a, uh, an illustration for us, such a great illustration for us in our walk with God of many, in many ways of what not to do. We see Samson who was uh, from really even before he was born was dedicated by his mother, by his parents to God. They dedicated him to the Lord with this Nazarite vow. And this Nazarite vow was this uh, particular vow that not uh, most people did not take on, but uh, but an angel had come to uh, Samson's parents and had told them that your child is going to be the next deliverer of Israel, and he is to take on him this vow, which was to not cut his hair, it's to not touch any unclean thing, um, and many other stipulations with it, and so from his birth. Uh, Samson had lived with this this Nazarite vow. And I'll I'll say this, that it is necessary that the devotions that are handed down to you from your parents become your own devotions. I think this in many ways was a, a struggle for Samson because this really was a vow that was put on him by his parents. Now I know the angel of the Lord came. And spoke to his parents. But, but Samson had a struggle from throughout his life of, of going between his consecration to his vow and, uh, and, and wanting to chase after the desires of his heart because I believe he took this vow from his parents and he did. He lived it out, but he never really made it his own. He lived within this vow, but he never truly took it on to, uh, to say that this is a vow that I've made. See, this consecration that Samson made, we see in many ways he was a double-minded man. As it tells us in, in James that this double-minded man is unstable in, in all of his ways. And Samson, we see this double life that he lived where he's in a place of trouble. And he could call upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord would be there. When he was threatened, it says that the spirit of the Lord would come upon him. And he he had this strength and he thrived in his calling whenever he was in a place of trouble. He thrived in his calling and his consecration whenever he was in a place where uh, where things were, were going wrong. But when he was alone and he had the inward desires, uh, you know, that began to... To come out and he was left, uh, he, 
you know, left to the control of his, his passions and these things within him, he would often pursue the things that he shouldn't pursue. These things that were forbidden of him to do, he would pursue them because he was a double-minded man that was, uh, that was chasing after or, or in this place of decision between his desires and his consecration, between, between the dedication to God and the desires of his heart. I want to, let's go to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14, verse number 1 tells us that Samson went down to Timnath and he saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, mind you, the calling of Samson was to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But he came up and he told his father and his mother and he said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now go and get her for me to be a wife. Verse 3. His father and his mother said to him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, and get this, because this is also what so often we say, maybe not out loud, but we can make this same statement. Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. When you're in that place of that decision point between your dedication and your desire, are you going to chase after the things that please you or are you going to chase after the things that please him? Right? But Samson said, she pleaseth me well. Let's read verse four. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So he's here and uh, he, he is chasing after the things that simply please him. Now, uh, we, we see this relationship doesn't end up working out. The, this lady, her, her father, uh, gets, uh, does, is not happy with Samson and, uh, he ends up marrying her off to another man. And so Samson, uh, not learning his lesson goes and begins to chase after some more, uh, more or another lady that is outside of the people of God, outside of the people that he ought to be with. And so he, we find him now in the place where uh, he is chasing after Delilah. And, and Samson and Delilah, here he is. He's called to liberate Israel from the Philistines, but in his flesh, he just keeps flirting with the Philistines. He keeps flirting with the temptation. He keeps flirting after the desires of his heart. To the point where eventually he sold his secret for the surface satisfactions. The very secret, the very dedication and the the consecration that he had. He sold that out to in, in order to chase the desires that he had in his own heart. And he walked away from everything that God had given him. The strength that God had given him. He gave all that up in order to satisfy his desire. Really this is the same curse of Esau. The same thing that, the same decision that Esau made. When Esau was, if you, if you know the story of how uh, he was a man that uh, had a birthright that was promised to him. And yet, in a moment, he desired something beyond the birthright. He desired just a little bit of pottage. And so, he sold the very, uh, 
he sold the very thing of importance for something that was trivial. The desires of his heart were what, uh, were what had a stronger pull on his life than the dedication to God. By contrast, we see David, who was a man after God's own heart. Now David, now David, just like Samson, he, he liked the ladies as well. But the greater principle in David's life was what he wrote in Psalm chapter 40 when he said, I delight to do your will, O God. God, I, I, I just delight to do your will. And David, he was committed to what he was consecrated to over what he desired. The consecration of David's life, the dedication in David's life was, uh, was, was stronger than the things that he desired. I want to, we're going to wrap this up here by, by just talking and, and going back to that, um, that passage in James. In James chapter 1 where it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The word patience, as I, as I said at the, the, at the top, is this Greek word hypomone, which means steadfast endurance. It comes from these two, uh, if you break that down, the, the two Greek words, hypo meaning under, mone meaning remaining. Hypomone, it really, it's, it's, it's translated here as patient endurance or steadfast endurance. But it's much stronger than just having patience. It's much stronger than, than just enduring things. No, it's, it's having an unbending determination. It's having an iron will to say, I am steadfast. I'm not moving away from this position. I, I, I am in Christ and I'm not leaving my position in Christ. My identity is wrapped up in Him. My calling is in Him. And I'm dedicated to God. There is nothing that can come my way that's going to get me to move off of where I'm at. He says, when the trials come, when the temptations come, do you have your feet planted? Are you in a place where your faith is going to bring out this steadfast endurance, this thing in you? It's saying, I have an iron will to make, make it through the situation and I am going to devil down on my dedication rather than chasing after my desires. This, this word, it could, hypomone, it could be translated as the capacity to endure persecution, torture, and even death without yielding your faith. It's remaining under. I said that those two words, hypo and, and mone, meaning under and remaining. It's talking about remaining under the weight of the trial. Remaining under the confusion of an unclear season. It's remaining in Him in the midst of those painful pressures that you're going through. It's remaining in your consecration. It's, it's not stepping outside of your consecration. So when you are going through a trial or when you are uh, perhaps even just, you know, things are going well. But, but you have the desires of your flesh that begin to pull you. When you have those things, those temptations that would come your way. 
Are you going to be uh, and, and allow the, the, these things to, to uh, cause you to dive deeper into God or to become more consecrated and dedicated to God? Or will you be like Samson and chase after the desires of your heart? It's Revelation. The book of Revelation really uh, hones in on this, uh, on this idea of patience and this Greek word hypomone. It's used many times throughout that text. In the early church, it had started from this position of steadfastness and prayer, from a refusal to, uh, to bow down to idols. And, and they, they were really this, this great example of hypomone. The early church was this, this great example of what it meant to stand in the midst of tests and trials and, and to say, I'm not going anywhere. We're not, we're not going to, uh, to let down on our beliefs because they had seen Jesus. They had, they had seen what Jesus had done. They had, uh, they had the stories, the firsthand accounts, but perhaps if they didn't see him, they had the firsthand accounts of, of God Almighty who had come and he laid down his life for them and he resurrected. And they saw that and they, they said, there's nothing that's going to move me away from that, knowing that he is the one that took my place. There's nothing that can come my way that's going to convince me otherwise to walk away from God. There's nothing. In this book of Revelation, it's, it's written uh, to, these, to these early churches, the early, uh, early portions of this book. And we see, uh, we see John, the revelator, just addressing these different churches. And we see in, in verse, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. In writing here, he says, I know thy works in your labor and your patience. This word patience here being that hypomone. I know it. I've seen how you endured the afflictions. I've seen how you've remained steadfast. I've seen how you have an iron will. I've seen how you, in the face of death and in the face of, of imprisonment, in the face of every test and trial and persecution, that you are going to remain steadfast. And you canst not, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And how thou hast tried them which say that they're apostles and they're not. And you have found them to be liars. And you have borne, you have patience. Again, you have patience. And for my name's sake, you have labored and you have not fainted. He says, I've seen it. God sees it. God sees your, your patient endurance. God sees you in your decision point. God sees you in that place of, of decision to saying, am I going to give up or am I going to keep on going on and believing that God is a good God and that God is here with me? Am I going to double down on my consecration or am I going to chase after my desires? It says God sees it. He addresses another church and Verse 19 of that same chapter, it says here that I know thy works and your charity and your service and your faith and your patience. Your works and the last to be more than the first. I've, I've seen it in you. I've seen how, how these things have been uh, displayed in your character and you as a church have endured many things and God sees that. In chapter 3, verse 10. He addresses them. He says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. 
which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. That God sees them in their patience. God sees them in their endurance. And God sees you in the midst of your trial. God sees you at your decision points. And he says, right now, I want you to make the decision to follow me, to remain dedicated to me. Don't walk away. Don't walk away in the midst of your test. Don't walk away in the midst of your trial. I see you. And then, later on in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, we see this word come up again. Revelation 14, verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here is the steadfast endurance of the saints. Here we see their ability to go to a decision point when they're in the midst of a trial and they say, I'm going to make it through. I'm going to live for God no matter what. Here I am and I'm not walking away. I'm not going to have a double mind where I'm chasing after my desires and I'm chasing after the dedication to God. Now, a devil-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So here they, am, here they are that says, the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. God recognizes it. God, he, he uh, praises those who would remain steadfast. God praises those who, after they've made a mistake or after they have, uh, they've fallen, they say, you know what, I'm not going to allow that to keep me down. I'm not going to allow my own, uh, my own choices that, that have drawn me away from God to, to keep me in that place. Now, I am going to come back into relationship with God. I'm going to come back and say, God, I, uh, from here on out, I'm going to be dedicated to you. God sees it. He recognizes it. See, this devil-minded man is unstable in his ways, but when you are steadfast, when you are enduring these tests, these trials, it says that God's going to work the patience in you. And through that, you're going to see the love of God begin to come in. And he will, or he is an unchanging God. And God has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He's been there all the time. And you will see God once again as you go through your trial, as you go through this, this situation that you're in. God says, here I am. I was helping you along every step of the way. I wonder if we could just close our eyes all around this place. I know it's, it's quiet in here to, this morning, but feel the Lord speaking to somebody today to say, don't give up. God's calling somebody's name out this this morning and saying, I I see you in the midst of your trial. You're wondering where I'm at. I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm just working something out in you. I'm working some patience in you. I'm I'm helping you to to, to understand what it is to truly know me and to, to remain dedicated to me through everything that you might go through. God sees you. God loves you. God is not a man that he should lie. God is not somebody who's going to leave you behind. He will always be there for you. And even when you cannot feel him, even when you you wonder where he's at, God is there. He's just, just a mention of his name away. 
I wonder if you could here today, just lift up your hand. Come on, let's just call out the name of Jesus this morning as our Sunday school classes, as they make, make their way back in. If we could just call out the name of the Lord here today in Jesus' name. God, we love you. Lord, I pray that today when we get to this decision point, Lord, that we would remain dedicated to you. God, that we wouldn't chase after the desires of our heart, the desires of our, our flesh, but rather, God, that we would, we would say, God, I'm going to be consecrated. God, I'm going to remain in that. Help us today, God, through every test, through every trial, to allow the patience to be worked in us. Amen.